I, I do think we need to touch on some very some other really important things that happened during this bowl season. Okay. And the and the lead thing is the Pop Tart Bowl. Um, you you had wanted to talk Wait. about this. We did not get to it. <laughs> Are you going to wait, what me? I was going to, but I I stumbled over it. Well, I you know somebody, you know we're hearing these crazy impression numbers that uh, that that Kellogg's got from this or Kellanova, I should say. Um, I don't know it's, when that name changed. By the way, when did yeah, they change I, that I, name? I don't know. It sounds like Kentucky merged with Villanova, right, yeah. to create yeah, an Uber yeah. basketball program. Kellen. Welcome to Wait What? Sports Biz Chat with DP and McGee. This is the podcast where we take a sometimes irreverent, sometimes cynical, and on occasion a serious look at the business of sports. I'm your co-host, David Paro. And I'm Tim McGee. Well, Happy New Year to you, Tim, and of course to all of you. I hope everyone had a wonderful, relaxing holiday with family and friends. It's the first week of 2024, and it's the launch of our third season 77th episode overall season three episode one so lots to ponder in the sports biz and of course in life but tim what's on your mind well first of all happy new year to you Thank hope you had you. a great holiday it seems like you did um happy new year and happy holidays to everybody who's listening so i think we need to or i want to start with the college football playoffs you and i were chatting over the break yeah. after after Florida State was absolutely annihilated by University of Georgia. Um, and I think we, we looked at it from two different, very different perspectives. So I'm going to give you mine, and then uh, I want to hear yours again, and then we can talk. So if I'm, if I'm the bowl selection committee, right, if I'm, the, if I'm the playoff selection committee, excuse me, I think we got it right uh, because Florida State, um, was playing without their quarterback, had the 55th strongest record in college football, uh, and and most importantly, um, well, I wouldn't say most importantly, um, and and they were uh, they were left out, they were kept out. But I think what so when you get absolutely annihilated like they did, I think one side of the coin is. The playoff selection committee got it right. I think you you look at the other side of the coin, which is – go ahead. I don't disagree, by the way, that they probably got it as, as close to right as they could have. The conversation we had during – on that day was did – was the committee more right about Florida State or more wrong about Georgia? Um, in fact, and, and even in real time – listen, I, I've said this before – I'm an ACC guy, and I want to try to enjoy the ACC while it lasts because there's a lot going on there. Uh, and and never has a Power Five conference champion gone undefeated and not made the college football playoff. This might have been the time to do it. I get it. They got completely annihilated. They didn't. Obviously, the players said, screw it. We're not showing up for this game. They had a ton of people out. And a very good Georgia football team that had only one loss, a very close loss, to, to Alabama in the SEC championship, they, they, they crushed Florida State, but they got left out. And to me, that is perhaps the was what they might have gotten wrong. All that said, the two semifinal games were off the chart awesome, and the television numbers were great. Um, it, it, you know, teams with obviously some interesting traditions, Washington being kind of the underdog one, but you know, powered by this amazing quarterback, you know, that, that Texas Washington game was unbelievable. And of course the Alabama Michigan game was just everything I think we hoped it would be. So yeah, yeah they, they probably got, they probably got it right. They're just those things that were lingering in my mind, somewhat about Florida state, but the fact that Georgia could be left off in place, not in place of Alabama, because you had to put Alabama in, I get it, but that they got left out and they, and they came ready to play and just, looked amazing right and and we did have that conversation before the two semifinal games right so again i i 
I would stand by my assertion that if I'm the playoff committee, I'm, I'm patting myself on the back right now because of those two great games, right? Alabama, which had beaten Georgia, but had lost to Texas, um, had a loss, you know, had a Hail Mary play to beat Auburn. Otherwise we wouldn't have been having that conversation. Gave Michigan everything they, you know, they could have won. Right. I, listen, I'll say this. I, I still think Georgia is, is one of the best four teams, but they got it as right as they possibly could have. I will, I will give you that. And I will give the committee that they got it as right as possible in what was a very difficult year and the last one of the 14 college football playoff. Uh, and, and they delivered for us four really exceptional teams that put on really, really good games for our entertainment. Yeah. And, you know, last, last year there were two good semifinal games, not like these two, right. One went to overtime, one went down to the wire, um, and then we had, you know, TCU just getting dismantled by Georgia. So it still remains to be seen, you know, what happens in Michigan versus Washington. But on paper, two great teams. Um, to your point, you've got, you know, Michael Penix Jr. on Washington, great quarterback, J.J. McCarthy, um, did what he had to do when he had to do it, you know, for Michigan. I was having this conversation the other day with somebody, and I said, could you imagine the difference in the game had – that first interception stood and how the, how the entire com complexion of the game may have changed. Um, you'll never know. Right. right. Uh, but, but it, but it was it the is, right call. It, oh yes, yes, yes. But had he, had he got his foot in or had they not, yeah. had they not overturned it, you know, not overturned it, whatever it happens to be, but it was really interesting. And listen, I, I, uh, I'm not a fan of Michigan because of what they went through this year with the, the cheating scandal and, um, the fact that, you know, Jim Harbaugh, you know, it was adjudicated, um, you know, very quickly, uh, I think, before everything was known. And uh, but, you know, he's he was on the sideline. He he paid the punishment he was required to pay and he's there and he deserves to pay. And but um, but it'll be very interesting to see what he does after well, this year. Listen, speaking as a, a, a fan that, that I don't have a, a horse in that I, I don't I don't necessarily care for either team as a fan. Alabama's won a lot, so I don't have any like it's not like I'm pulling for them normally. I found myself pulling for Michigan, I have to say. I I don't I I did too. <laughs> and we bashed Michigan and talked about our I don't know all why, stuff I don't, that annoys us. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why, but at the you know, the entire game, you well, know, Carolyn asked me who are you who are you rooting for? I said, you know what? I kind of hope Michigan wins. So think about all of the ramifications of this. You have Washington joining the Big Ten. You have Texas joining the SEC. You have obviously Michigan in the Big Ten. You have Alabama in the SEC. And as it turns out, the national championship game is basically going to be a Big Ten showdown. Um, yes. and, and, but it does show that these teams that are that great, obviously, were attracted to the, to the big conferences. But it, it just goes to show you how you know, even when it expands, even when it expands to 12 teams, what that could mean in terms of dominance and the appearances of Big Ten teams and uh, and uh, SEC teams. Now, the Big 12, I think, is in is in reasonably good shape. I think they reloaded. The ACC is in so much trouble right now, uh, and it and it bothers me greatly. Florida State, although they may lose a little oomph from their lawsuit to try to get themselves out of the grant of rights deal that they signed. Uh, with the Atlantic Coast Conference to protect the conference from the from the poaching, the money gap is just so severe now between the other big between the the SEC and the Big Ten and the ACC. I mean, it's not even really close. And you have this powerhouse like Florida State, you have this powerhouse like Clemson, you have these big name schools like like Carolina, Duke, D Duke, um, Wake. you know Georgia Tech. Yeah, well, with the Wake. Listen, Wake. If this concert, if this, if Florida State wins their case, which I don't know if they will, but if they win that case and they're allowed to leave the conference and get and and get some relief from what they would have to pay, which is like half a billion dollars or something in this grant of rights, which gives the conference the rights to whatever TV money they would receive for a long, long, long time, that's the deal that they cut to protect the conference. If they if they win this case and they decide to become a free agent. It's trouble, and Wake, Wake is Wake's going to end up in the Southern Conference. 
hopefully, like somewhere, um, it's going to be a tough landing position for Wake Forest. I, you know, I venture to say. Yeah, it, I'm not a lawyer, obviously. But what I don't understand is these these schools sign these deals and then have no intention of honoring them when they look to leave the conference. I don't I don't understand that. You know, maybe we should have Mike McCann too. Uh, the second Mike McCann we had as a guest, right. you know, the, right. the sports lawyer, um, to talk about that. But well, I, but to me, uh, yeah, it seems like these agreements aren't worth the paper they're written on. Well, we, we know that to be the case in in a lot of regards. Um, I think they're going to have to prove a fair amount of ridiculously bad management on the part of the conference and negligence and just this, you know. And I don't know how you necessarily do that. I mean, they they had it, uh, uh, you know, they were dealt a pretty tough hand with some of these other schools coming in, and they've tried to react by bringing, you know, a few of the Pac-12 um, cast-offs uh, into the fold. But I did hear, you know, the Pac-12 had one of the – it was maybe the best or the second-best football conference this year. And yeah. the commissioner, the commissioner, you know, following up is like, gosh, if these teams would have just been patient, <laughs> like, <laughs> nice, nice try. But they were, you know, they had money being dangled at them. That that was probably hard to pass up. So, well, I know we're going to talk about the Pac-12 when we talk about our 2023 predictions and how well or how poorly, as the case may be, no. they went. But, but let's go back to Jim Harbaugh for just a second. He recently signed Don Yee who's a well-known NFL agent. Yeah, it's um, Brady's guy. Uh, yeah, which is interesting to see. Um, I, I haven't – somebody told me this. I haven't had a chance to look it up. But somebody told me that Adam Schefter, Schefter reported that if Jim Harbaugh is sanctioned and punished by the NCAA, the NFL could decide to impose that same penalty or a penalty on him. So let's say for argument's sake that the NF or the NCAA uh, looks into this cheating scandal, they uh, impose a, a penalty on, on university of Michigan football, which would have included, you know, Jim Harbaugh sitting out a season, right? Theoretically, the NFL could, could do that from what I, what I've heard. I don't know if they would, but this, um, this, this, this very much reminds me of the Pete Carroll situation where he left USC for Seattle, um, because I believe in part, uh, for fear of, of sanctions being handed down by, by the NCAA yeah. on the USC program. Well, we talked about this recently on a show on whether or not he, it would be a logical time for him to go back to the NFL anyways, because of, how well he's done at the program. And I think we talked about, you know, is it matter whether he wins the national championship or not? Because I, I, I would think there would be some appeal for him to go if he wins. However, I do think that the the, the issues hanging over him from a scandal standpoint or, or any other penalties coming down would be the bigger driver. I mean, it would, I mean, as a Michigan fan, if he were to win a championship and, and just leave then. Uh, but yes, you're right. The hiring of the agent. There's all kinds of other noise surrounding this about the about the possibility of him him being. And and he didn't answer the question, right? He was asked it pretty regularly, you know, over the course of that day. Right. Um, listen, the um, it, it just to kind of touch on real quick because we do talk about ratings. The the those semifinal games, particularly the Michigan um, Michigan Alabama Rose Bowl game, did NFL like numbers. I mean, uh, it was uh, it was impressive. Uh, for sure, but that's not a huge surprise. I mean, that was a very compelling matchup. I, I do think we need to touch on some very some other really important things that happened during this bowl season. Okay, and the and the lead thing is the Pop Tart Bowl. Um, you you had wanted to talk wait. about this. We did not get to it. <laughs> Are you going to wait? What me? I was going to, but I I stumbled over it. Well, well, I you know somebody, you know, we're hearing these crazy impression numbers that uh, that that. Kellogg's got from this, or Kellanova, I should say. Um, I don't know That's, when that name changed, by the way. When did yeah, they change I, that I, name? I don't know. It sounds like Kentucky merged with Villanova, right, yeah. to create yeah, an Uber Kel basketball program. Kellanova, Kel you know, and I've done some of that brand naming stuff, but yeah, Kellanova, new new Kellogg's, I guess. Um, yes. Anyway, they're based in Chicago now, which I kind of like that. Um, no, but, but no longer Battle Creek. Well, they still their cereal division, I think, is still in Battle Creek. They can't abandon that city. I think they are the city. 
I mean, you remember the old commercials and I mean, yeah, love that sure. stuff. Um, anyway, someone wrote to me and, you know, showed me an article about, you know, the, the number of impressions. And I just said, I, I have to be honest because this is quirky and as kind of kitschy as it all was. In, in our business, right? That's what we dream of. We dream of those moments. And I got to hand it to everybody that worked on that because my goodness, it was fun. It 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 showed the side of the the entertainment side of the the bowl season, and it just shows you with a little ma imagination and some some fun execution, um, and a and a partner in the bowl games that um, you know that that wants to go there with you. I, I think it was fantastic. Of course, they then followed it up with the Cheez It Bowl, which is another Kellanova brand, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, and then they had some great attention on that. Um, but you know, eating the mascot, I mean, that was just, that was just, that was just gold. And, and so hats off to everybody involved. Yeah. That's what I call a tombstone maker. Meaning <laughs> when, when, when somebody worked on that project dies, <laughs> it'll be on the tombstone. I was fortunate enough to work on something similar uh, about 12 years ago with, uh, when Blake Griffin jumped over a Kia yeah, Optima at right. the NBA slam dunk competition. Um, you know, the folks at Kia, obviously, and the guys at what was then IMG Consulting, most notably Sean Morrissey, my good friend, who's who's now at Allied Sports. But uh, it was Bill Simmons who called it the greatest brand integration of all time. Yeah. Um, and that will be on my on my tombstone. Remember the Alpo dog commercial with the dog chasing the chuck wagon? Yeah, that was me. No, that was that's, that's a line from <laughs> Spinal Tap. <Sorry. laughs> A couple other good ones. I, I don't get in the Duke's mayo. I know that's the tradition of pouring the mayonnaise over the over the winning coach. Seriously, would, seriously I would throw – if I were the coach, I would throw the game. Yeah. I would lose the game. Yeah. It's disgusting. <laughs> it's more disgusting than eating a, a, a humanoid Pop-Tart, which which actually I have to give them credit. They gave it – their their treatment was absolutely brilliant, right, because it was almost cannibalistic if, you, if he would have just – lay down on the table but he went yeah. into that that toaster <laughs> he got and then he got toasted out, right and it comes out the other end as, as an edible <laughs> because, i can't believe brilliant. we're talking about it because it all seems like in retrospect it's like yeah some of that stuff his dreams come true you know or i think that was the sign that the, the mascot was carrying anyway it was great stuff so congrats <laughs> all right we've covered a lot on college football let's move over to to the nfl and uh what i think might be becoming one of our favorite subjects is um, the ownership of one um, David Tepper in Carolina. Yeah, and after we um, talk about that, I, I have a huge announcement. Okay. So let's talk uh, about David Tepper. Okay, and it's not that Caitlin Clark is unanimously going to win the Naismith Award. In, that's because that's too our easy. Audience, anyway. You're nearly prescient. Well, I am because she's amazing. Anyway, so you we talked about Harbaugh and potential sanctions or fines or whatever or suspensions possibly still coming down. The NFL reviewed the situation, which happened in Jacksonville, where he threw, it appears from the video, a beer into the crowd from the suite in a fit of anger. He was definitely mad. That that can't be argued. He was fined $300,000 um, by the NFL, no suspension. Um, and his apology was a little less than satisfying. Let's say that. And, tepid. Um, a tepid tepper. Yes, nicely. His he is a billionaire, as we know. So a fine of three hundred thousand dollars seems a little, you know, insignificant and per, and perhaps, like I said, un, unsatisfying. Yeah. But the NFL has, you know, they have an, they have another owner. They're going to have to keep their eye on. I'll say that. Had he simply turned around and thrown the cup at the back wall of the suite, we wouldn't be having this conversation. And he would have written a check for five hundred dollars for the. For the carpet cleaning, right. Um, right? You know, but I mean, I, we've I, all I, done that, right? Uh, on the advice of counsel, I will invoke <laughs> my Fifth Amendment right. Yeah, I, I mean, listen, I, I, it was just such a childish thing to do, and had and, and and what somebody, one of my friends, pointed out the other day was had that had that drink flown in the other direction, had a fan thrown it in into the suite, they would have been arrested, they would have lost their tickets. Right. They would have, you know, there would have been a lot more hell to pay, relatively speaking, for that person 
than there is for David Tepper. So. Yeah, I mean, you know, owners of these teams, we've we've talked about it quite a bit. I mean, the responsibility, and and I'm not saying they should individually be role models or anything. That's not the point. But they do, they do have a responsibility that goes beyond the the numbers uh, that the team the team makes, and and it's not that hard. You know, there are a lot of owners that are on camera way hell of a lot more than David Tepper is. Jerry Jones comes to mind. Mark Cuban comes Robert, to mind. Robert, Robert Kraft. Kraft comes to Robert mind. Robert Kraft. Yeah. So although Robert Kraft had his own issues a few years ago when he when he went to uh, to visit. Well, yeah, but but in terms of right, but in terms of the game action, as far as your behavior right. during that, you know, and usually the owner always has somebody by their side. Kraft and Jones both have their sons always at their yeah. sides. You see, Virginia McCaskey has one of her sons always at her side. Now, Virginia McCaskey is not going to stand up and do anything. I'm not. I'm not making right. a comment about her age, no. but, but she's not. She's 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 from tall. a different generation, yeah. right? But Jerry Jones gets fired up. I mean, we see how fired up he gets. And I'm not saying I'm a, a big Jerry Jones fan necessarily, but I have a hard time believing he would do that even in a fit of anger. Um, and so what was he responding to? Just someone giving him shit from the fan, from the, you own a sports team. Of course you're going to get that. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's interesting. You know, it, it doesn't happen as often. It happens, right? We have the situation with Wander Franco right now, the, the, the Rays young star who's, who's in trouble in the Dominican Republic for what the media is calling an inappropriate relationship with a minor. Um, the allegation is rape. Let's call it what it is. But anyway, my point is that there have there have always been players who have misbehaved. And a lot of times it's attributed to the fact that they make a lot of money and they have been sort of pampered since they were very young and don't believe on some level that all the rules apply to them. Add a couple of zeros and you have these billionaire owners and some of whom, you know, some of whom think the rules don't apply to them. That case with with David Tepper, uh, you know, I was, I was over at Chelsea last spring, uh, for a match. And the next day on the back cover of, uh, the daily mail was a picture of Todd Bowley, Chelsea's owner, you know, getting into it with fans above his uh, director's box at, at the stadium. And again, you know, and, and, and I'm sure that they were saying some very, uh, inappropriate things to him, but as, as an owner, as a steward of a club, especially a Premier League club, you 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 better learn to to develop a thick skin. I get the sense that David Tepper threw that in a peak of you know a, a, a peak of anger, a fit of anger. I don't think he was throwing it at, at a fan or a group of fans because they had said something. I, I could I could be completely wrong, and you I'm mean, not excusing his behavior. I'm I'm trying to explain yeah. it. Listen, uh, the, the issue here, in, in my view, is as much about the compounding of, of David Tepper being in the news as an owner in general and the uh, the inability for that organization to kind of get its act together uh, on accomplishing the things that it had hoped for and just the, the nature of things. And I think we're going to continue to hear some stuff out. I, you, you, you may very well be right that it was just him being upset that the team is just horrid and losing and and kind of doing that, but to do it in that direction at all, to your point earlier. What's next on your list? So so my major announcement is that I am no longer a New York Jet fan. <laughs> wow. After, yeah, so. That's a major I, announcement. I think Woody John. I'm not going to edit this, but I'm just going to go, wait, what? <laughs> Woody Johnson gives David Tepper a run for his money in terms of you know, being, uh, you know, be, being the worst owner in the league, I, I think David Tepper's probably the worst owner. Well, what really set me over the edge was, was Aaron Rodgers yesterday claiming without a shred of evidence that Jimmy uh, would appear in the list of names who people who consorted with Jeffrey Epstein and went to his, his island. Completely inappropriate. Defamation of character. Um, and I'm just kind of done. They will not be my team till both of those guys are gone. Yeah, it's going to be interesting on this. It, you know, Kimmel, Kimmel is on an ABC station or a, a Disney station in ABC. And um, they Disney now also um, pays Pat McAfee a lot of money 
and this is the show that that Aaron Rodgers was on. And Rodgers gets paid to make appearances on the show, is my understanding. And it seemed like an odd place to go. I listened to McAfee a little bit um, uh, today talking about this and saying, listen, we, we, we joke, we talk about this stuff. I think Aaron was just kind of going off thinking he was was being funny. But man, that 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 was a dumb thing to make a, you know, to make some kind of claim like that, thinking it was funny or whatever. Maybe he thought that Jimmy Kimmel would be on that list. But anyway, dumb, stupid. I I I think maybe, you know, I don't know if it's an overreaction on your part, but I understand the frustration that he was the guy that your entire franchise was pinning their hopes on. He gets hurt on the first play basically or the second play and then he's just he's just been nothing but a probably not a particularly great teammate since then well you know i i i would actually say that up until this point i think he has been a good teammate right he continued to show up at games and practice uh, right you know uh worked with zach wilson work with some of the other quarterbacks but it was just it's just if that was a joke uh, then I will say to Aaron Rodgers what people said to me when I tried my hand at comedy many years ago, which is don't give up your day job. I don't know, man. I would have come seen you at open mic. I was pretty funny. I'll bet you were. I, I was pretty I'm not, funny. I have no doubt about that. Um, so. Yeah, that, kind of a, a weird, interesting situation. I, I guess one other thing that uh, – that, was kind of interesting in the news is a merger happened uh, between the XFL and the USFL now going under the name, the UFL, which is um, much better than Kellanova, by the way. <laughs> so now, so, so we'll, we'll talk about that, but now it makes Terry Lefton's year a lot easier because he only has to hate on one professional <laughs> football league. That's not the NFL. Right. As opposed well, to listen, I, 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 it makes all the sense in the world for those two, uh, two to merge. I think they're, I think they're being, making some some smart moves, pulling the number of teams down totally to eight. I think it's interesting that the two conferences, kind of piggy, you know, kind of going off of the NFL model, will be the XFL conference and the USFL conference, which seems a little weird. Uh, but they have the markets, they have the coaches. And, um, you know, some decent names that have some NFL experience uh, and big time college experience. They have partnerships with Fox and, and, and Disney via both ESPN and ABC um, and obviously Fox Sports and FS1. So they're in a reasonably decent shape. They seem to have the backing, if you will, of the NFL. You know, there was an old thing that you never took an, a, a non-NFL football property to the companies that were broadcasting the football because they'd want to stay away from it because of the importance of the NFL, but now the NFL and they're looking for more content. It seems like they, uh, there's the support there. So I think they're making as many of the right moves as you possibly can make. Yeah. I'm not going to go out on a limb and say it's going to, it's going to fail. The odds of success are still stacked against them. Um, but you know, the first game is March 30th, which, you know, sort of that's, that's the day before Easter. It comes, it comes on the weekend, if I'm not mistaken, of uh, the uh, Sweet 16 and, and Elite Eight. But I could be wrong. I'd have to check the calendar on that. So my point is that they'll be they'll be coming on after uh, after March Madness is over, and they're sort of filling a gap in that in, in the sports calendar. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. But I think the the absolutely critical aspect of it is they have to have some sort of formal arrangement with the NFL. We have a we have a guest coming up, but before the guest checks in with us, I was thinking, Tim, that we could take a quick look back at the predictions that we made for 2023 and see how we did. Do you remember what yours were? Do, do we have to? Yeah, uh, I did not remember what they were, but I, but I did go back and and listen okay. to that <laughs> to that that episode. I didn't realize what good music uh, you put down on on the track because, as as you know, I never listened to this show after it would be helpful i, I mean we could, we could we could use the <laughs> listens man <laughs> after i take the headphones off i don't i don't think about it again until the next week but no so um would you like me to go ahead and yes and 
Easter. eat a substantial amount of crow. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to I'm going to take a victory lap first because my first prediction said that you was that you would be better at predictions than I was. <laughs> and so I so I got that right. Um, your first prediction was that uh, you envisioned a big year for the NWSL and women's sports in general. And, and we saw that with the massive media rights deal that the NWSL did. Um, we saw the coming together of two competing women's sports entities into the National Women's Hockey League, which launched on January 1st with a sellout crowd in Toronto. So I would I would I would say you were uh, you were absolutely right on that one. Spot on. Well, that's good. And by the way, I I did go back and look at yours, but I don't have them in front of me, so I can't necessarily recall. You're going to have to recall. But thank you for uh, that. I would say that was a fairly safe one. I didn't necessarily go out on a huge limb on that one. But it was exciting to see the momentum that's going and the investment that's going into um, women's sports. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to start calling you Nostradamus after that no, one. No. But but you get but but I will give you credit where credit is due. My first one is an incomplete, right? Because I said that in the case of Johnson versus the NCAA, the court would rule that the uh, student athletes were in fact employees, and the and the court has not. Yep. determine that at this point um so so i give a, a i give myself an incomplete you can you can use that one again this year i still think it's oh, a yes. good one yeah i do your second one again i will give you um i will give you partial credit for this one you said the commanders will be sold for slightly under the seven billion dollar figure that was being thrown around at that time when in fact they sold to Josh Harris for six billion dollars, which I would I would argue is more than slightly less than seven billion dollars. If we were playing the prices right, right, you'd still be there because you were I, under the actual retail value. I was happy with that prediction in that in that it was kind of getting crazy. People saying it was going to get that. I didn't think it would get it, but you're right. It was just over six. Um, still a record number, by the way. So um, yeah. it, it was huge. So my, yeah, no, I, I, I'd say, I'd say that's more than I'd say, I'd still put that in. The I give you credit. I give you credit. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, Thank absolutely. you. Appreciate it. Yeah. That. Especially compared to my next one. Right. Which was just, I, I can't even believe I'm saying this, but I predicted that the PAC 12 would resign with the, with the ESPN. What I meant to say was that. <laughs> employ- um, so don't say anything else just after the fact that you said what I meant to say was is funny enough. What I meant to say was that employees of the Pac-12 would be sure to sign up for ESPN Plus. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we have a couple more predictions uh, I want to run through. Um, you said last year that uh, you, you believed at least one more sports entity would uh, take sovereign wealth fund money. Uh, a lot of talk, a lot of smoke. Um, not sure if that has come true yet. I would give you an incomplete on that. Yeah, I I would agree. And the other thing I, I want to clarify a little more because I, I think my prediction was probably not the most well thought through prediction, if I'm being honest with myself. And that is that, that Adam Silver had announced that the NBA is open to the sovereign wealth fund, similar, you know, such as the public investment fund or the Qatar Investment Authority or the Abu Dhabi Investment Authority. Um, uh, not all of these, obviously, are, are um, from the uh, Mid- Middle East region, but they are very aggressive, let's put it that way. And that others would would certainly open the doors to that. There are no official restrictions, actually, at MLB uh, or NHL, for instance. NFL has some very strict ownership situations, so it's not going to happen there. Um, but I, I think I think incomplete is is a as good of a grade as I could possibly expect on that one. So I have one more, and then we have a combined one. I said that Live Golf would not receive a, a major media rights deal in 2023, and I define that by saying by by being paid a significant significant rights fee. Now I know that's somewhat general and subjective, but I would not call their deal with CW a major rights deal. And I think you would agree. Nor would I. Nor would I. Okay. So I got that one right. Um, but let's let's end on a, a low note for me and a high note for you. We both uh, used Tom Brady as a source for our predictions. I predicted that Tom Brady would pay play in 2023. 
Um, you predicted that he would play, and I said I don't know about that. You said he would not be. You said I'm not sure if he'll play, but I don't believe right. he'll be in the booth. And you I, got. I that did right. say that. That was that was that was a baller move right there. That was a baller prediction on my part. I'm very happy yeah. with that one. We'll come up with our 2024 predictions in, in an upcoming episode. But right now, let's let's take a break. We've got a great guest coming up. So we'll be back in a minute. It's time for our guest. So we're back and we are we are really happy to welcome our first guest of the year, first guest of season three. Jerry Cifarelli is the president and CEO of ANC. Uh, and he's going to tell us about ANC. Most of the people in the sports industry are familiar with ANC and the great work they do in um, the, the media space. But Jerry spent his entire career in the sports and entertainment industry. Uh, he's worked at uh, Fenway Sports Group, selling properties like the Boston Red Sox, Liverpool FC, and Nesson, uh, the regional sports network. Um, he got his master's at Fordham University, which is near and dear to my heart. My daughter is getting ready to graduate. Um, so giving a shout out to, to the Rams. Um, he joined ANC in 2012. It was the, uh, the organization that his father had actually founded in 1997. He was brought on board to help grow the company's uh, blossoming collegiate sales division. Fast forward to 2015, and ANC was acquired by Learfield. Um, the great multimedia rights holders organization. Um, he left in 2021 to form C10 Media. Uh, and then in a real great case of full circle, in January 2023, C10 Media announced that it was acquiring ANC from Learfield. So, uh, Jerry, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Tim and Dave. Really appreciate it. So let's get started. Uh, we know you're on vacation, so we want to be. We, we're so <laughs> grateful that you came. I'm I'm very jealous. But um, tell us about ANC. Tell us about your sort of self sales proposition um, and the businesses that you're in. Yeah, I mean ANC is a very unique business. Um, it's basically the way I always like to explain it. It is four businesses within one. Um, ANC is an LED display integrator uh, for technology, not just the video displays and the LED units, but also TV, IPTV, et cetera. So basically a technology integrator at sports venues across the country. And we also do a lot of commercial venues. So at a home network, such as train stations and you know, big screens in Times Square. Then we have another business unit, which we, we call our service, our venue alliance business, basically our service solutions. And what we do is we operate games. So the many events that you know fans go to, we are there actually operating behind the scenes. We're the ones that are driving all the all the content to the video screens and driving all the you know rotating the signage behind home plate. Our third business that we have, um, we have a software business. So our software platform is a you know extremely unique business for us. Something that we created ANC from the ground up um, by our CTO, who's still with the company today. Um, he created it. It's his baby. And that software platform is drives all the LED displays. So all the content to to the displays when you're in a venue and you look at the the main scoreboard, you see whether it's 3D graphics or it's uh, just sponsor content, it's the game overlays, it's the stats, et cetera. That software platform is the driver behind there. It's also kind of a, you know, the real true nucleus, the core of a, a venue technology, because we have the ability to drive other platforms. Um, so we don't have our own IPTV system, but we have the ability to trigger other IPTV systems. So you're, you know, it's the quarterback of the venue per se. And then our fourth business unit that we have, which is um, blossoming, is the, we call it our, our advertising agency. Um, our advertising agency operates in multimedia rights, so acquiring sign it, acquiring inventory and selling inventory um, for our own opportunities, but also representing brands such as Discount Tire um, across their main sports bends and focusing heavily on our TV visible signage, right? That's our expertise. That's the core. Um, so that's where we try to stay in. Great. So before I hand it off to, to David, I just wanted to ask a quick follow up on that. So you alluded to the, the fact that you're vertically integrated. How does that vertical integration provide a point of differentiation vis-a-vis -vis your competitors? But more importantly, what does it mean for the fan experience 
when they come into a, a venue where ANC is involved? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So I'll answer that uh, first with the competitors. There's really nobody that does everything that ANC does, right? So we have competitors in the integration business, but most of those competitors are manufacturers. They're labeled as manufacturers, big companies. Um, but we also complement those manufacturers. So we're not really a true competitor. It's something that they, you know, we hope that one day they don't, don't look us look at us as a as a true competitor, more as someone that can help enhance their business. Um, so we we don't manufacture any products. We source those products from the best manufacturers in the world, um, and we're sourcing them from from everywhere. From the standpoint of the fan experience, when you go to a venue that we're in, there's you know continuity across the whole entire venue. Right. They, there's a there's a technology experience that you see when you walk in the door. You know, our high profile venue is the Wells Fargo Center. Um, that's our that's our baby. And the Wells Fargo Center, when you go in those doors, um, there's video screens everywhere. You, you're getting a wow experience as you walk in. Then you go into the main bowl and you see the scoreboard and the scoreboard itself can move. It's on. We have a partnership with a company called Tate Towers that helps us with the kinetic side of the of the scoreboards and our software is able to trigger that and help with it. So it's extremely um, powerful from a fan experience when you work with us because we, you know, we have the cutting edge displays. We have the cutting edge technologies because we're always innovating. Um, this may be a first, by the way. So we have this weird tradition on this show that when someone says that's a great question, we tend to try to acknowledge where that question came from. In this case, Tim actually <laughs> wove two questions together brilliantly, I will say. And so I think we can both take a little bit of credit. More Tim, if I'm being honest, than me, but but nice job. And I think we just needed to recognize that. Um, yeah, great job, Tim. Teamwork is a dream work. Way to go. You know? <laughs> So I, I want to go said that earlier to somebody. Teamwork <laughs> makes a dream work. I said it in an email. It's pretty funny. I also um, like to say there's no I in team, but there is an ME. But uh, <laughs> David doesn't get, David doesn't like it when I say that. So we're going to take a step back. Um, it, we, it was mentioned that the, the company was founded uh, uh, by your father. And we we're kind of curious because you didn't start your career in the family business. You moved on to some other areas before coming in. Just kind of thoughts on, was that a conscious decision to go out and learn some more? And was there ever the thought that you ultimately would end up coming back into the into the business? Well, I appreciate you asking that question um, because uh, it, that question could be answered depending on the person you ask. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I, you know, I guess the way I will answer it is that it wasn't really a conscious decision. You know, I've always kind of wanted to chart my own path. And, you know, I understand, um, you know, the great opportunity I had because I really started my career at a very young age. I mean, I was around the sports business from when my dad was working at Dorna Van Wagner. I mean, we have a we have a picture in our basement of me standing next to a uh, rotational sign with him. And I had to be maybe 12 at the time. Right. So I was always around the business. I was I loved the business. I mean, I always looked up to uh, people like my father and the business side of the sports instead of the players, because it was just something that I was always around. Um, and then throughout my whole high school life and college life, I always worked at ANC in summer internships in between caddying on the weekends. So I always had had the bug for the company, but it wasn't really a conscious decision for me to go work elsewhere. Uh, there never really was a point that it was going to be, hey, I was going to come back to ANC at some point. It just actually naturally happened when ANC went through a little bit of an ownership, an investor change. Um, when two folks came in to the business, they brought me back with, and I got to work alongside my father. Full disclosure, I spent two years at Van Wagner. You did? Oh, wow. After, did after that. that so, you know. I, I should have done my research. <laughs> why would why? why would you do your research? We don't do that much, so it's yeah. totally fine. So, so you had some great experiences, obviously, with organizations like, like the Fenway Sports Group. Uh, and some of the great properties that they own. Uh, so tell us a little bit about what you learned, what you what you picked up along the way before you ultimately did join uh, ANC back in 2012. Yeah, I mean, Fenway Sports Group was probably one of the best experiences of my life um, still to this day. We're very close with all the all the executives at Fenway Sports Group because I learned just so much from from. You know, Jonathan Glulis and Mark Lev, Sam Kennedy, and 
the whole team there and John Clark. It really was just a, a wonderful time. Um, I learned how to sell. I learned how to prospect. I learned how to be more um, conscious of, you know, how I went about my day to day. Right. You learned how to be more effective and to work, you know, smarter almost. Um, and to find the, middle ground between what is good for you know your organization and also good for the customer in the end of the day and marrying those together um and that's what you know i felt was really really important um that i learned there um that they are the best in the business and to be able to come out of college and work for the best in the business was you know it was an honor and a blessing yeah some real pros obviously in that in that Fenway sports organization for sure and you just named um, um some real great ones um, the company was sold to Learfield 2015, and then it was bought back at the beginning of, of last year. The adjacency of ANC for Learfield always made a lot of sense for me, by the way. I kind of got why that why that sale happened. But but in looking at going to an organization like that and then and then bringing it back, how how do you as a leader, um, maintain a culture when when companies are kind of going back and forth and have different ownership structures and so forth. Not the easiest thing to do. Would love to hear any thoughts you have on that. Yeah, I think um, the great thing for me is I got to spend time when I was working at ANC with Learfield, um, and I got to learn great culture. Um, those those guys um, and 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 gals that are running Learfield and and that business has just wonderful culture, top you know, top to bottom across the board. And so when we had the opportunity to acquire ANC back from Learfield, you know, we just stayed core to their values and, you know, our values because they align so well, right? Mm. Um, you know, putting your customers first and and at Learfield has this whole saying, I'm not sure if they still have it, but it was, you know, win when we love, love when we win, right? It's just doing the right, doing the right thing by everybody. Um, and we kept we kept that motto and kept that that core belief at at ANC when when I acquired it. And so there's nothing really changing from a culture standpoint. Um, honestly, I think in many cases it probably um, was an improvement because ANC was a smaller organization within a larger company. So now being owned by C10 Media and really being a you know a quote unquote family um, style of a business family um, owned business, you were able to give it a lot more attention. Um, to help it grow. Uh, I think the organization was at a turning point where it needed more and more, more attention to start growing more. And uh, we were the right stewards for that. When you founded C10 Media, were you were you thinking at the time, yeah, this is something I'd like to to take back into the fold? Or and if, if that wasn't the, the thinking when you founded C10 Media, what was what precipitated it? It, it definitely was not the thinking, you know, I was ready to kind of go on my own and, and, and start um, something fresh. And, and I felt that um, ANC was being looked at really as a, you know, a cost center. This mm -hmm. is kind of what I always say when, when you're putting up LED displays, you end up being an ANC, not being a manufacturer, right? You're, you're either like a, a product salesperson, you know, that's, that's what you're trying to do. Um, you end up driving to the bottom on the cost side of the business responding to rfps and not looking at the you know holistic picture of the of the company and the different business lines that it has so when i started c10 media my goal really was to drive more of a another agency right another advertising agency out there that could help um customers with their tv visible signage that was our main goal and in turn marry that revenue back to those teams who integrating technology within those venues um and so now um when we had the opportunity to acquire anc we're really just all it did was take our business model and fast forward it 10 10 years because anc has had the you know the parts right it just needed to be those parts need to be put together so the car could go faster and it needed the the mindset needed to shift to to make the car go faster and that's what we're trying to do here obviously ai virtual reality ar mr all of these things are impacting the sports business and, and you guys are at an interesting point because you are such a big part of the display not just to those in the venue but also what we're seeing uh, actually on television um, how do you see in what you guys are doing, these technologies impacting 
the in-venue experience uh, and and especially the fan experience? Oh gosh, that, that's that. I leave that up to guys that are much smarter than I am. I mean, I <laughs> use the Chat GTP for a few emails here and there. I'm guilty of that, <laughs> like everybody else. So maybe it impacts my uh, my writing skills. Um, but no, I would say that uh, you know it, it's there's a lot of things that it can do. Um, you know, I think around the data side of the business and in, in the sports world, um, being able to um, swiftly analyze the data from ticketing, et cetera. Uh, from our side of the business, you know, it's a wait and see, I guess, per se. And like I said, that's that's up to our you know, CTO to tell me that this is how it's going to change. I, I I am not the right person for that. I promise you that. But, but in terms of the in in terms of the displays themselves, as far as you know, mixed realities and and augmented realities, do you see a lot of opportunities? I guess in the things that that can be displayed to those fans that are right there and 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 what we're deliver what you're able to deliver from from a television experience even. yeah the content is is get, is just getting better and better from what can be put on those displays right um so there's only you know how much can you dream right you know dream up because i think that we can make that come to come to life with and and obviously you utilize some type of argumentative reality you're seeing that you're seeing a lot of 3d content up out there now and um, we're doing a ton of it um, whether it's at a home or, or um, you know, in sports venues, we have a 14 graphic designers in house that are building state of the art content for our partners through our venue solutions business. Um, so it, it's really becoming such a big show, right? Um, going to a sporting event, and it's it's as much as it is about the you know the score and and the the content on the field. The, the going to the event is becoming a show. You're seeing people, you know, I think the Baltimore Ravens, they had a Raven fly through, right? So you're seeing you're seeing companies and you're seeing brands and teams utilizing it more and more. Um, okay. I want to dolly back for a second and, and talk a little bit more broadly about where you see growth opportunities for, for ANC in the in the year ahead and, and a little bit longer term. Yeah, ANC in the year ahead, the growth opportunities is is for sure integrating all of our solutions within our partners um right you know we we really believe heavily in the one-stop shop um you, you're going to go to somebody for tv visible signage and agency side of the business you're going to go to someone to drum up new ideas for technology advancements within your venue and then you're going to service and maintain it and operate it over the course of of that lifetime you know the problems that you see with technology in venues the problems are all driven by not being serviced appropriate and maintained and operated appropriately um there's really you know one organization out there and that's anc that has the staff our own employees that can do that across the country so when you have the ability to service and maintain technologies within a venue and then you have the ability to have your advertising team drive revenue back to your partner because that's the name of the game, right? It's always, the, it's driving revenue. That's what these teams want. Um, and that's what we can help with. You're gonna, I think we're gonna see a lot of success with our, you know, on our team and our side. Um, and then our great partnerships, it's all about great partnerships, right? You gotta have great partnerships on the uh, product side. You have to have great partnerships with your employees and your and your people. So, so we're servicing appropriately. And you gotta have, you gotta make sure that, you know, you're going above and beyond with the customer um, because I always say that you never win a project or you never get a new customer without exceeding the expectations of your previous customer. Those are your best salespeople. Um, and sales is the number one thing in our, in this business. Sports business is a sales business. And um, you know, you look at you know, what people are able to do. You can only sell things if you actually deliver on what you're, uh, what you're promising. Listen, we've come to the time where we ask every guest that we have two standard questions. So I hope you're, oh, up. you're not that hard. You don't, don't sweat it too much. <laughs> and that first one is... Well, tell career got started. Where to start it? We probably covered that to some degree, right? Do we feel like we've covered that enough? No, Unless, uh, go back. No, let's go back to when you were like just hanging around the thing. Like, what were you doing <laughs> first? Because I yeah. got yeah, I got to believe, Jerry, you didn't get hired because you were caddying. <laughs> no, Although I mean, that, I would, that, <laughs> that was a pretty good caddy, though. I have to say, I, I, I was pretty good, and I could read putts better than anybody. I'm still a pretty good putter. Nice. I think I, I would. I would awesome. have to say. Um, no, I mean, I would. I would hang 
the rotational signage. I was wow. doing the zip ties yeah. at some point. Um, you know, I was I went to every single home game in the Boston Red Sox when we were first when we were there. I, I probably gained a gazillion pounds eating sweet food and going around. But you know, it was a uh, you know I kind of did everything. I remember at one point I was getting guys coffee all the time, doing the whole stick that you you think. Um, so it's uh, I loved it. You know, this this is what I always wanted to do. Yeah. So some people might not know that this the signage business was not always digital, that those were actually yeah. banners rotated <laughs> and pressed. And yep. I, I remember very early on when the Dorna system kind of came out. So uh, I remember yeah. I skipped school one in high school. So, you know, I probably shouldn't be saying this, but I skipped school to go do that at Yankee Stadium. And I'm afraid of heights. So they had me at like the 300 level, like hanging over the zip tie. Uh, I, I almost had a heart attack at a very young age. And then the last question we want to ask you is, uh, is what piece of advice would you have for somebody who's looking to break into the sports industry? Learn how to sell. It's, <laughs> it's the number one. Be, uh, just Damn. be a salesperson. It's it. Um, yeah, I think one thing you left out of my bio was I, uh, in between ANC and um, Fenway Sports Group, I worked for a company called Patch.com, which is a local news company. Tim Armstrong um, was a spinoff of AOL. And it was a dial for dollars business. Like you had to call and just sell local advertising. And um, it taught, it did t teach you so much. It taught you how to pick up the phone and actually call someone. And especially in this day and age, right when we're texting and emailing, um, you know, I, I'm a big phone guy. I like to just pick up the phone and call. Um, but that's, that's all I would say is learn to sell. I mean, someone at a family sports group told me he's, when we had a one-on-one -on -one in their group, he goes, Jerry, if you're a really good salesman, this will work. You just got to learn to sell. You got to be a good salesperson. It's, you'll continue to do well in the sports world if that's what you do. And and I agree with that. I think that goes a long way. I think you look at a lot of people in high profile positions um, in this industry. There's pretty, we're pretty think, sure they're good yeah. salespeople. <laughs> yeah, I, I think to say, it's safe to say you became a good salesperson and, and you built a, a, a running an amazing business. So we know that you're, you're on your family vacation, so we're going to let you get back to that. But, but thank you. This is uh, this has been really, really insightful. No, thank you guys. Really appreciate it. And um, looking forward to uh, talking to you all more. Great. All right. Thanks, Jerry. All right, we're back. Thank you again to Jerry Cifarelli, President and CEO of ANC. Great guest. Uh, now is the part of the show where we look forward, uh, what we're looking forward to, what we're keeping our eye on, what we're doing. David, I will start with you. What's, uh, what's, what's on your mind and what's up in the coming week? Well, there are a couple of things I wanted to uh, uh, hit on. We, you mentioned, and I, I don't, I hope I'm not taking any thunder away, but you mentioned we, we had a quick discussion about Caitlin Clark earlier. Caitlin Clark's coming to Rutgers on Friday night um, to play against Rutgers, to, to coming to New Jersey. Is that what you were going to say? That is, you have absolutely stole my thunder, but I'm. Uh, I, won't, I won't use that. Okay. I won't use that. No, I think it's big enough for us both to take it. Okay. What else What else did you have? Because I have, well, I have something to add. You have to tons of stuff. Um, the, uh, the other thing that I think we're going to have to pick up on, but I'm very curious to see what the next two weeks or so are going to be is on the, uh, the negotiations between the PGA tour and, and the public investment fund. They've extended that deal, um, from December 31st to in advance of the masters um, to try to get a deal done because a lot really hangs in the balance. There seems to be a tiny bit of further detente. Rory McIlroy's even coming out saying he was probably a little judgmental here. But this is continuing to be a, a very, very interesting story to keep our eyes on and, and so much going on. So I'm going to have an, uh, my eyes on that. The only other thing I wanted to mention was uh, just because I don't know if we have owners like this anymore. And since we talked about Tepper earlier, Herb Cole died this past week uh, at 88. He was a legendary owner of the Milwaukee Bucks. He saved that team from leaving. Uh, he was also instrumental in bringing the Seattle Pilots to Milwaukee to become the Milwaukee Brewers. He was friends 
um, with longtime commissioner Bud Selig. Uh, and he was just the guy that understood what that role meant. Um, universally liked, uh, he was a very wealthy man through the family business, but he died in Wisconsin at the age of 88. Um, I think he died in Wisconsin. I should go back and look, but Wisconsin and the city of Milwaukee were always very, very close to him. Anyway, I just kind of wanted to say, cause I don't think we have owners like that anymore. No, he's the, he is, uh, he's the last of that breed, right? The, the, the owner who, I don't want to say current owners buy teams for the wrong reasons, but he bought them. Those owners bought them and kept them for the right reasons. Yeah. So you mentioned Caitlin Clark. Um, as you know, I am on the board of the Atlanta Tip-Off Club, which gives Vice Alex Chair. Vice Chair. I am uh, I am a worthy servant of the of the board of directors. But uh, in one of my first official duties as vice chairman, as you said, I will be going down to Rutgers on Friday to Jersey Mike basketball year who coincidentally started her coaching career at Iowa and won the Naismith Coach of the Year while coaching at Iowa. Uh, and they will be will be honoring her on the court before the game, and then Rutgers, the Lady Scarlet Knights, will be taking on Caitlin Clark and the Iowa Hawkeyes. And I'm so excited to see Caitlin Clark play. I, I don't know how you couldn't be, right? I mean, she is just absolutely electric, and she's um, she is she is kind of taking the basketball world by storm in a way. It's just uh, not only the numbers, but just the way she seems to be doing it. So um, that's great. Um, I'm going to try to pick that game up on uh, on TV. So uh, that's awesome. That's really awesome. So now's the time in our show where we say goodbye and thank you to you listeners. Uh, if you like what you hear, please like us, follow us, share what you uh, what you hear. Uh, until next week, he's DP. I'm McGee, and we'll talk soon. Thanks.